invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, and we want to begin reading with verse 1. And I invite you to stand as we read the word of the Lord. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Arabic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And I want us to think about this thought this morning. Three questions we must answer. Three questions we must answer. You may be seated. We're taught that uh, we can find answers to about anything if we know where to look. When I was growing up, it was the encyclopedias. And if you had the whole set of encyclopedias and then you got the annals every year, you could keep up with just about everything that was going on. Today, it's the Internet, and if you want to find an answer to something, you can find it on the Internet, right? And it has to be true, right? Because it's on the Internet. It has to be true. But we know where to look. The last several years, there's been a, a new technology, a phenomenon of sorts that's come around called artificial intelligence or AI. And even as I was typing the notes for this sermon, my computer auto-populated the phrase artificial intelligence when I started typing. Many of us have experienced it. We've picked up the phone and called a service number to kind of get help with something, and an automated voice answers, and it's a machine that is talking to us, asking us questions and telling us we can just give our answers And the machine is doing all the processing. That's artificial intelligence. Most of us have an Alexa or Google-type 
device that we may use on our phones or in our homes, and we can ask questions and it'll give us answers. A few weeks ago, Martha and I were traveling with our eight-year-old granddaughter who for many miles entertained herself and us too by saying to her phone, Siri, tell me a knock-knock joke. And then Siri would tell her a joke, and if she didn't do it exactly right, Siri would coach her on how to do it. And so for miles, we listened to that. You know, some academic institutions are beginning to face artificial intelligence as a way for students to cheat and plagiarize. So a student can go to software and tell tell it that it wants a so many page document on this topic, and the software program will put out an assignment that is very good. And so in some cases, I'm told that students are then resubmitting that to another software program that dumbs it down and adds a few errors so they don't get caught for cheating. Uh, You know, that's happening across many institutions. I recently heard that artificial intelligence could pass the bar exam and do it in the top 10%. And then probably the most interesting article I read recently was called Sermons by Artificial Intelligence. And it simply was this, that a pastor or a preacher could put the prompts into artificial intelligence software, tell it what it wanted, and the software would write a sermon for the pastor. So, I don't know. Someone tried it, and they gave the software prompts, and they said, we want you to write a biblical verse in the King James language talking about how to remove a peanut butter sandwich from a VCR. So you know a video cassette recorder, some of us remember those. Well, the AI came back with this response, and it came to pass that a man was troubled by a peanut butter sandwich, for it had been placed within his VCR, and he knew not how to remove it. And he cried out to the Lord saying, Oh Lord, how can I remove this sandwich from my VCR? And then the AI ended with this. And the Lord said, Verily I say unto thee, Seek not to put thy peanut butter sandwiches in thy VCR. For it's not a suitable place for such things. Rather keep thy sandwiches in thy refrigerator on thy plate where they belong. You know, from jokes to the bar exam, from assignments to sermons, we can get answers to almost anything we want to get an answer to. And the scripture this morning gives us an example of a man who was looking for an answer. He was an invalid, and he wanted to be healed. And on this particular day, he encounters Jesus And he finds the answer for which he was looking. There are times in our lives when we're asking some tough questions and sometimes when we're searching for answers. And we can search in a lot of places to find what it is to which we're looking for, to find for our lives. And we can look in all kinds of places, including artificial intelligence, But the truth is this morning that we need to look to God and a right relationship with God that comes through Christ and his written word to us, the Bible. And so this morning, I want to look at three questions that I think help us find the right answers for the tough questions 
that we may be asking. So the first question is this. What do you really want? What do you really want? Jesus came to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, the Bible says. It doesn't tell us which one. It was likely Passover, but we're not sure. And in Jerusalem, there was a pool that was believed to have healing properties. It was called Bethesda. It was surrounded by covered colonnades, and there people would uh, hang out, the disabled, those that were in physical need, in hopes that they could get into the water. It was likely close to the pen where they kept the sheep for sacrifice. And so as Jesus was coming into town, he would pass this pool and he would see the people lying there. And there he encountered a man. And the Bible tells us that this man had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus, upon seeing this man uh, and learning of his condition, Ask the man a question. He said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, it may seem like an odd question to ask an invalid because what invalid would would not want to be healed if they had the choice? But I think Jesus' question was really probing much deeper into that man's life. For this man had been an invalid 38 years, The pool had healing properties, so it was said, and he had never got into the pool. And so he offered Jesus two excuses why he never was healed. He said, first of all, I don't have anyone to help me get into the pool. And secondly, when the waters are troubled, someone else beats me into the pool. There was a belief that the pool only had healing properties when it was stirred or troubled, And then that only the first person in would be the one healed. And so he said, I don't have anybody help me. And when it happens, somebody else beats me to it. And I think the man was maybe kind of legitimate. But on the other hand, I think we could ask ourselves, was this man making excuses for his life? Was he making excuses? Because maybe... Just maybe he was given the appearance of wanting one thing, but doing something else. It's likely over 38 years that he had become comfortable with where he was. He probably didn't like being an invalid, but he had got used to it. And he got comfortable with his situation and the predicament that he found himself in. And over 38 years, he had probably learned that he could seek the empathy of those who were passing by and possibly get some money from them, begging alms for his existence. And so he had probably come to a place in his life where while he wanted to be healed, he was comfortable with where he was. And so Jesus says to him, and I think Jesus speaks to his heart of hearts, and he says, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? And I wonder if there are times in our lives when we say one thing, but our actions suggest that we're really wanting something else. We may be facing challenging times. Maybe there's physical need in our lives. Maybe we're going through a financial crisis or an employment issue. 
Maybe we've got broken family relationships or uh, relationships with others that are strained, even in the church. And we may just be at a place where we're struggling spiritually because we know what we ought to be doing, but we find ourselves not doing it, wrestling with sin. And there could be any number, number of situations that drag us down and hold us down. And the question is, what do we really want to happen with the situation that we are facing? What do we really want to happen with the situation that we're facing? You see, many of us, when we're going through something like that, we'll say, I want my need met. I want the problem solved. I want the relationship restored. I want a resolution to this situation. I want to be right spiritually. But then we don't really do anything about it. And so it's kind of like the invalid. We find ourselves laying around the edges rather than getting into the pool. And the reason is because it's safe around the edges. We're comfortable with that. We've been there. The edges don't require us to do anything different. And in some ways, the edge allows us to seek the empathy of others, saying, poor me, look at what I'm going through. See how I'm suffering. And the edge keeps us from truly committing to what God wants to do in our lives. And then sometimes to explain why we stay where we are, we make excuses, even if they're true. We make excuses because we've got comfortable being where we are instead of where we should be. And so like the invalid at the pool, Jesus is saying to us, do you want to get well? What do you really want in your life? What is it that you're really seeking? Do you want to see something different and some change and some a positive way of living? Or do you just want to keep giving lip service to what could happen in your life? And I believe this morning, if we're going to find the healing, the help, the hope, the resolution, the restoration that God has for us, we're going to have to come to a place where we honestly answer that question, what do we really want? A second question that this passage offers us is, What are you willing to do about it? What are you willing to do about it? Jesus heard the man's heart. I think despite the fact that the man had been an invalid for 38 years, that he had got comfortable laying around the pool, seeking empathy from those who passed by, maybe even begging alms, Jesus heard his heart of hearts. And in the man's response to him, there must have been some sincerity, a desire to change, a willingness to do something about it. And Jesus says to the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Three very distinct commands. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the Bible says that once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he began walking. Now, I think there's some truth in this that we really need to grasp. If this man would have not been willing to respond, he would have remained an invalid. If this man would have not been willing to do something different, nothing would have changed in his life. If he would have said, I can't, not now, 
maybe later, he likely would have remained in the same condition for the rest of his life. And in all probability, he would have continued laying around the edges, making excuses for why his life was the way it was. But the Bible tells us that he was willing to do something different. And in his willingness, he was healed. So I think what that means for you and me is that we not only need to answer the question, what do we really want? But we need to be able to answer the question, what are we going to do about it? You see, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our heart of hearts. And he knows if we're laying around the edges, making excuses and giving lip service. But he also knows if we're sincere and we have a desire to see things change and we're willing to do something about it. And if we are sincere and have that desire and willingness, he says to us, get up, pick up your mat and walk. In other words, he says to us, you start by getting up. Start doing something about what's going on in your life. Secondly, pick up your mat. Get a hold of that which is weighing you down and holding you back and and take hold of it by faith and then start walking. Start making the change that you want to see in your life. And all of that by God's grace. The only way we can do it is by God's grace. But the point is when we're willing to take the initiative and we're willing to do something about our situation and our condition, God will intervene. And so here's the bottom line. We can spend our life laying around the edges, making excuses and seeking empathy, or we can get up, pick it up, and walk. We can get up, pick it up, and walk. And when we do, God brings the healing, hope, help, resolution, and restoration that we're looking to see in our lives. A third question this passage proposes to us is, what price are you willing to pay? What price are you willing to pay? It just so happened that all this took place on the Sabbath day. And according to the law... A person was forbidden to carry their mat on the Sabbath day. And so the Jewish leaders questioned the man who had been healed. Not about the miracle of walking, that he had been an invalid and now he walked, but about the legality of breaking the law that he was carrying his mat. And he says to them, The man who made me well told me to pick it up and to walk. Now, the Bible says to us that at that moment, he didn't know that it was Jesus who had healed him. I think if I would have been healed, I'd want to know who who it was and how they did it. I would want to know. But it speaks to this man's faith that because Jesus said it, he believed it, he got up, he walked. and, And it says something about how bad he wanted to be healed. Later, the Bible says, Jesus was in the temple and he saw this man. And he says to the man, see, you are well again. And then he goes on to say to the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What Jesus was telling this man was simply this, that God worked a miracle in his life. 
but it wasn't a one-time shot. He needed to turn his life around and walk with God. Stop sinning. Stop doing what is wrong and start walking with God. And he warns him, I think, that the only way he's going to be able to continue in this experience of experiencing God in his life is if he's willing to stop sinning and do what God wants him to do. Now, the Bible says that the man went and told the Jews that it was Jesus. I want to believe that this man went to them to tell them to give testimony that it was Jesus who healed him. But I also wonder if maybe this man wasn't giving Jesus up to save himself. Because the punishment for carrying your mat on the Sabbath was that you would be stoned. And this man didn't want to be stoned, so instead of taking that risk, he gives Jesus up, blaming it on Jesus, that Jesus is the one that told him to carry his mat. And the Bible just kind of leaves us there with that story. But for us, when we're touched by the healing and helping hand of God, we need to think about what that means in our lives. We need to think about what it does for us, and it really does two things. One, it changes our life going forward, and it gives us a testimony about the goodness of God. And so, based on what happened to this invalid, I think there are a couple of warnings for us. One is that God working in our life is not a one-time action step that God just does something and disappears. I think sometimes we try to trade on God's mercy. And we say, God, if you'll do this, I'll live for you forever. And God moves, we forget, and we go back to doing what we were always doing. It's kind of like thinking that God is a genie in a bottle that's sitting on a shelf. And we have a problem, a situation, a circumstance, a trouble, and we grab the bottle and we rub it and out pops God and we say, God, intervene, do this, do that. And God moves and we put him back in the bottle and we put him back on the shelf. It's kind of like that. But Jesus told this man, that's not the way you live. You got to stop sinning. You need to remember that the right relationship with God is not talking about God when you need him or taking him off the shelf when you want something and then putting him back and living any old way the rest of the time. But a right relationship with God is about stopping what you're doing that's wrong and dedicating your life completely to him and walking with him for the rest of your days. And that's the message that, that's coming out here that you got to stop sinning because if you don't, something else worse may happen. You got to stop sinning and you got to give your life to walking with God. Now, the other warning for us, I think, has to do with our testimony. This man may have been giving Jesus praise, but in my heart of hearts, I think he was probably thinking about being stoned. And he, he didn't want to be stoned by those leaders, and so he. He told him it was Jesus who healed him and blamed it on him. And his focus was more about himself than it was Jesus who healed him. 
Now, I don't know that you and I would give up Jesus in the same way. But here it is. When we treat Jesus like a genie in a bottle, we are discrediting and dishonoring Him. When we are not committed to living our lives for Him, we're really saying we're living for ourselves. And if we fail to give testimony to what God is doing in and through us by His grace, we're making it all about us. And so we may not just literally give up Jesus, but by the way that we live and the attitude of our heart, we're making a statement about who God is through Christ in our lives. And Jesus says, stop sinning. In other words, it's time to get away from the edge and to get in and to get touched and to give your life completely to God. You're either fully committed or you're not. And our walk and our talk will bear witness to what's happening in our lives. People will know. God knows. And so the question for us is, what price are we willing to pay? Are we willing to totally commit and give our lives to God through Christ and walk with him? So three questions we must answer. What do we really want? What are we willing to do about it? And what price are we willing to pay? The truth of the gospel this morning is simply this, that we need to get honest with God and figure out what it is we really want. We need to do something about it by getting up, picking it up, and walking. Take some initiative. Desire a change. Do something about it. And thirdly, we have to be willing to pay the price by completely surrendering our lives to God and dedicate the way that we live to Him. You know, as human beings, by nature, we're always looking for answers. And we might look at an encyclopedia, but we're probably going online and we might be asking Siri. And some of us may even decide to consult artificial intelligence. But there we aren't going to find the kind of answers we're looking for there. The answers that we're looking for come when we get totally honest with God. And we say, here's what I really want. And here's what I'm willing to do about it. And here's the price I'm willing to pay. And we have to decide what it is we really want. Because our answers to those questions will determine the quality of our life today and our destiny forever. And so they are three questions that we must answer. And, the, and then that leaves us with this question. How will you answer those questions? Mm-hmm.